Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Yeah, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23 today, and uh, that was written um, hundreds of years, but like likely around a thousand years before Jesus had ever walked the earth. Um, and the opening line that you would have just heard as we read is, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's interesting that if you know anything, if you've read the book of John, namely, you would know that Jesus is often referred to as a shepherd. And uh, this psalmist didn't know Jesus. That's what I'm trying to point out is that he was writing this. This was about a thousand years before Jesus was ever on the earth. Let me just move this around too. Um, but Jesus is still called a shepherd. So what the psalmist knew about following God, he still called the Lord his shepherd. Um, he still saw him that way. God was still a shepherd to this psalmist. I believe it was David. I, I didn't 100% confirm that, but... Um, he speaks of his life following his shepherd in this psalm that we just read. Yet Jesus, a thousand years later, calls himself a shepherd, and we know Jesus as our shepherd. We can, we can follow Jesus and follow God through Jesus in a, in a, in a way that the psalmist couldn't. Um, and the invitation before Jesus, uh, what it means to follow Jesus as our shepherd, I wanted to use this verse to explain it, because um, this this is for everybody. The summary in Matthew four seventeen, it's a little pixelated. Hope you could, hopefully you can see that there. It says um, the summary of Jesus' message. It says this that he he began to preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." That was the summary of his message. He didn't literally only use those words, but that's that's what they're saying is the summary of what he said. So. G uh, repentance can come with a little bit of baggage. Sometimes the word repent can be difficult. Um, what, what it really means in this Greek context is to think again or to, to do a 180 and to go a completely different direction. If you're going this way, think again about where you're going and turn and go a different way. Jesus came and gave everybody, including you and I, this offering of being able to turn and to think again about the way we're living and enter into something called the kingdom of heaven. He said that it had come near or the kingdom of God is a kind of an interchangeable term. He said that that had come near. Um, so as I'm looking at Psalm 23, as I'm thinking about our lives and what it means to be a Christian, I'm challenged by this idea that I, I actually want to understand it in the framework that Jesus preached it. I actually want to, I actually want to understand my faith and relationship with God in the, in the framework that Jesus taught it, which was the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you guys, but that's a learning curve for me. This is almost a new way to understand my faith. I, you know, we live in a largely Christian culture. If you include Catholicism, it's the number one kind of faith in our time and in our place, our culture. Um, so we can have an idea based on our culture around us of what it means to be a Christian. But you may be interested to know that the word Christian only occurs at most about twice in the Bible, only once for sure, that they, that they use the word Christian. The way that Jesus taught, the way that Jesus invited people to follow him was by saying, the kingdom of heaven is near to you and you can be born again into it. He told this guy named um, Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom, you needed to be born again. It's a new spiritual life. Um, so... Jesus is this shepherd and he invites, we're going to, we're going to take a look and think about what does it mean that we, that he's our shepherd and we're following him in this kingdom. And then we're going to learn from what the psalmist knew about following God. I wanted to show you, I just thought it was interesting that Jesus has always been regarded as a shepherd. I was looking through just the, um, 
some, some images, basically just Googling Jesus as shepherd. And I came across this statue. This was built in about 300 AD and it's in the, some catacombs in Rome or somewhere, or Greece, I guess. And um, this is uh, Jesus carrying this lamb on his shoulders. And you might know this next image as well. It's a painting from some time. I don't really know where. I couldn't find the details, but um, Jesus is holding this this lamb. And I don't know how well you can see it, but it looks a little, it looks pretty scared and tired, this little baby lamb, you know. And I think both of these images of Jesus as a shepherd, I think they're hearkening back to a, a story you might be familiar with where there's 99 sheep and one of them gets lost. And the parable goes that Jesus actually goes and seeks out that one lost sheep. Um, that's what I'm kind of getting from these images. And it helps me to think of who Jesus is as a shepherd. Um, that's what I'm thinking about here. So I'm going to leave this up. Maybe these, maybe these images are, will speak to you just as we're thinking about this. But let's go ahead and go through Psalm 23 together. If you have a phone with you or a Bible with you, I don't, I'm not going to put the slides up. I'm actually going to leave this image up. But we're going to go back through Psalm 23 and think about what does it mean? What is this kingdom? And what does it mean to follow Jesus, our shepherd? The first line says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the NLT, it reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And for some of us, um, maybe one verse is all we need to hear today. And just to reflect on the psalmist knew God in such a way that having him as his shepherd, it was all that he needed. I really like the NLT translation. It makes more sense to me. Like the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need because I have him. ESV is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And maybe the reflection or the the challenge for each of us today is um, who is God to us? Who is Jesus to us? And that can be a stretching or a confusing question, but um, I'm challenged by this text. That one verse really challenges me in my life. And if that's what the psalmist knew God as, if that's what it looked like for the psalmist to follow God, was that having God was all that he needed. There's something that it's like, it makes me think like, man, is that, what, is that who God is to me? And do I believe, what does that look like? And is that something for me too? Um, I find it really interesting that in Hebrews, it says that the, the people in the Old Testament, including this, the writer of this psalm that we're reading today, it says that they longed to look into the things that we now get to look into. This, this new opportunity that we have to follow God through Jesus. Um, the people in the Old Testament didn't have the same kind of access or relationship with God that we can have through Jesus. That was why it had changed. That's what the, the, the kingdom of heaven being near to us. The way that we can relate to God through Jesus is different than what they had access to. Yet, this psalmist still knew that that was all that he needed. Having the Lord as a shepherd was everything he needed. And... Um, could that be for us? Could there be a place where having God is, is really, we know we have all that we need. You know, could he be that big to us? Will we dare look and see? Um, as we follow Jesus, as the psalmist follows his shepherd, it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. As you follow Jesus, um, you'll learn that you have this right standing with God you're forgiven. And it's like you, you can live as if you've never sinned before. You're, you, you have peace with God through Jesus, the Bible teaches. You're, you're good with him. You can put your head on your pillow and down at night knowing that you're good with God through Jesus. And I, I believe that metaphorically, these are the green pastures and the still waters that can restore your soul. There's a, there's a peace available to you knowing that you're good with God forever. That helps you sleep at night. There's a, there's a restoration that comes to you. And it, it goes even beyond a sense of peace. It really does restore you. And I want to just talk about this for a second. What does this practically mean for my week? These are all 
this can seem like a really distant idea or very theoretical, but um, all of us have experienced and some of us may be experiencing times in our life right now that are very much not, they don't really seem like green pastures where we're taking a snooze or they don't really seem like still waters or maybe you're in a time when you feel like your soul's getting drained more than it is getting restored. Um, the message that I have to share that I feel so passionate about is that this isn't just some seasons of our life. We're not just reading about some guy's good experience with the Lord. It's like, cause you can get that sense, right? If you don't feel this reality in your life today, you might be like, well, must've been nice to been him. I, I definitely don't feel, you know, like I'm beside still waters and green pastures in my life. But the good news is that, is that Jesus was pointing us to the kingdom that this was, this isn't actually just about the circumstances that we go through in the physical or in the material world. And I, I think there's a message there for each of us that um, the green pastures, the still waters and the restoration that can come through the spirit, through the kingdom can be despite your circumstances in this life. So I, 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 I hope that makes sense. I hope that that gets us thinking and I hope that we would actually um, ask God for that help today. If you're in a season in your life when you definitely don't feel like you're getting restored, but you're getting drained, um, in that kingdom is where Jesus says, uh, we find this stuff, <laughs> if I can say it like that. It says that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As a shepherd, we're his sheep, we're following him, and it's it's for his name's sake that we're being led in these paths of, of rightness or righteousness. When you start to see who he is, you have no greater priority than to let him be known. You, 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 it's, it's that his name would get out there. It's just like when you see something so amazing, you can't help but just praise it or, or, or want it to be known by other people. It's, let's keep that really simple. Catch this next verse. This is really important to me. Um, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I find it, I found this really interesting. I've read this Psalm probably a lot of times and I had never caught this before, but here we are following our shepherd in paths that he leads us in for his name's sake, but we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, let's, let's translate that. What does it mean to be in the valley of the shadow of death? I think it would just mean being in difficult or dangerous trial like situations. I think it would be in difficult places. And I'm thinking to myself, is that where my shepherd's leading me? And I, I think the answer is actually yes. I don't think that categorically everything that is difficult that happens to you is how God's led you or something. That's not, I'm not saying that, but sometimes where the darkest and the most difficult, the most broken places are, Jesus leads you to be a light. As you follow your shepherd, he's going to, he's going to bring light into the darkness because he lives in us. I thought that was interesting. You know, you would imagine like, okay, I'm following the shepherd. He's giving me green pastures and still waters. And then, and then like four verses in, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm like, wow, this is, yet this is where God leads us. He, he wants us to be love in the world and hands and feet in difficult situations. And like I said, I, like, it's not like every situation of abuse or difficulty is somehow where God would lead you. Don't hear me wrong, but there's times and places when God would lead us to be light in a dark place. We're following our shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death. People that are hopeless or in need or poor or broken. Um, the reason we fear no evil as we, as we walk through this valley is because he is with us. It's for you are with me. 
I sincerely feel like God's challenging every bit of fear in my life. And it can be, it can seem pie in the sky and idealistic to say that God doesn't want us to fear. We can be very tempted to just be like, well, we're always going to fear. I mean, get real. You know, we can, we can very easily say that to ourselves, but I'm not willing to put that ceiling on my life. (laughs) If God is saying, if I'm with you, you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to let him determine how much of my fear doesn't need to be there anymore. I don't want to just be like, well, that's normal. If that makes any sense. There's the there's a verse that says that if I am if God is for you, who can be against you? I'm gonna let that I'm gonna let him determine how how loud that is in my life, how real that is in my life. There's a a, a, a confidence or a faith that we grow in in knowing that if God's for us, it really does change what you're afraid of in this life. Jesus goes as far as saying, like, why be afraid of man who can only harm your body? You know, there's this bigger picture, you know, the kingdom and 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 this, this life and this hope that the psalmist is experiencing is, is a bigger picture than our hundred year human existence. And if God is for you, there's, there really is a place where you start to grow in this confidence that I, I'm not afraid of what's just going to happen to me here. There's a bigger picture going on, if that makes sense. So as we go through difficult season or as we, seasons or as we go through this valley of the shadow of death, we, we don't need to be afraid because he is with us. We have our shepherd. I really like this next line, uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I have never, um, raised sheep. I have never been a shepherd. Um, shout out to the Van Campens or anybody else who ha- might be tuning in that has done that before. Um, I'm pretty sure that your rod and your staff as a shepherd aren't just for firewood. I'm pretty sure that the rod and the staff are for prodding and, and sometimes whacking the sheep if they're getting out of line or that you have to kind of steer them in a certain direction. And I think this is a part of our experience of following Jesus too. That I, I, what does that look like? I think, Sometimes God says, Jake, you were, you were actually kind of wrong in that conversation. I want you to apologize to that person. That's the rod and the staff kind of guiding me. And, and ultimately, yeah, I mean, correction can be painful in the moment, but the rod and the staff comforts us because we know that we're being steered in a good direction. So there is times in our relationship with God where we get the rod or we get the staff. Are you with me? Um, I want to spend a lot of time talking about verse five and verse six. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to talk about a table that Jesus prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. You may recognize this. Um, It's really blurry. But anyway, you probably can see what's going on there. This is a painting called The Last Supper. And I want to talk about a table that Jesus had set at that supper and um, how that relates to these promises and these experiences after this table is set in Psalm 23. I need to give you some historical context first, okay? Um, They were having a meal called the Passover meal. It was the time of Passover. That was a tradition in Jewish culture because there was a time when the whole nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt and God was bringing them out, but Pharaoh the ruler of Egypt wasn't exactly cooperating and God was sending plagues. There's a really long buildup and story about Israel getting freed from Egypt. A lot of you probably know the story. By the time there's been nine plagues, the 10th plague is that God actually decides to pass this judgment and he decides to kill the firstborn of all the families. He sends this angel of destruction to kill the firstborn. But he says, if you, if you put the blood of a lamb on your doorpost, you, your house will be passed over that angel will pass over your house and we won't touch anybody in your family. That's, that's a sign of, you know, you're with me. You're, you're with me as in God is, is what's happening in this story. 
And after that happens, Pharaoh finally concedes and says, get out of here, get out of our country. And you probably know the story. The Israelites are ultimately freed from slavery after that last event. They had to go very quickly. A part of this Passover meal that they would then institute to remember that act is they would have this bread that didn't even have time to rise and they would eat raw greens, no ranch dressing, no salad dressing. They, it was, it was a, a very fast and crazy time, but they put this feast in place that they would have every year to remember that time when God had passed over them and freed them from slavery. I want to talk to you about how Jesus was fulfilling a, a huge amount of symbolism when he was preparing this meal that you're looking at, it wasn't, this is a painting, but you know what I'm trying to say. As Jesus is having his honoring this Passover meal with his disciples, he tells them at that dinner, he says, um, he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body that is broken for you. And he pours this wine. He says, this is my, this is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that is poured out for you. Jesus was preparing a table for them and they were remembering something that happened, but they didn't realize that he was actually fulfilling what the symbolism of those events were because Jesus was about to become the final sacrifice. Jesus dies on a cross and he says that I died for your sins. And if you would, if you're willing, you can receive forgiveness for your sins. I died for you because I love you. That's for each of us, by the way, that wasn't just for these 12 guys at the table. That's for each of us. Jesus has said that he died for the sins of the whole world, and that's available to each of us. He was going to be the last lamb that ever needed to be sacrificed. And if we have the blood of the lamb on our doorposts, in other words, if we receive the blood of Jesus, we are passed over. And you're not just passed over, you're set free from slavery, and you go into this journey of finding the promised land. There's so much symbolism that we could be talking about in this. But Jesus prepares a meal, and he says, this cup is that this, this wine is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, I'm going to die on your behalf so that you won't have to. And if you would receive that forgiveness, you're going to have this new covenant with God. And in that new covenant, we talked earlier about how this is all about the kingdom. And Jesus told Nicodemus that you had to be born again to enter that kingdom. You receive this forgiveness and you're born again when you receive that forgiveness. You're filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. You might remember that the psalmist was anointed on his head with oil. I believe that God pours the Holy Spirit over us and fills us, gives us, we're a new creation when we give our lives to Jesus for that first time. Um, that offering, that, uh, <laughs> that covenant, that forgiveness, that love is for everybody here. If, uh, um, if your biggest mess on the stream right now, you wouldn't know if you were, but if you know that you're, um, broken in your life, if you know that you have, uh, shame and guilt and things in your past that haunt you and you can't shake, um, if you feel like the biggest mess or the biggest sinner and feel, and you feel like you have absolutely no ability or no confidence that you could ever approach God, um, Jesus goes after the one that's lost. <laughs> Jesus said that he came to, uh, to heal the sick. He came to find the people that were broken and messed up. <laughs> if you know you need a savior, that's who Jesus, you're who Jesus is looking for. You may actually be at a time in your life when you really feel like, man, God is kind of after me right now. <laughs> and uh, some of us have been there. That's a cool experience. Um, this table has been set before you where Jesus says, I can, I can be that. I, I want, I love you. I've died for you. This is the table that has been prepared before you in the presence of your enemies. You can receive this in the presence of your guilt and your shame and your sin. Um, 
there's a, there's, there's something important. Like we don't talk about this very openly. It's not a topic that often comes up at Starbucks, but, but our sin is something we need to be freed from just like the Israelites needed to be freed from slavery in Egypt. It, it controls us until a savior comes and breaks those chains and Jesus will do that for you. Sincerely, that's available to you. The whole summary of his message was that you could think again and turn and enter into that kingdom. The kingdom is near. That is near to each of us. So I think you're getting my point at this point. If that's you, uh, if you want to take that step, I just want you to know that that's available to you. How I would do that, if you have no idea how to start, is just by saying, God, I want to repent. I want to think differently. I want to turn from the way that I'm living. And just, you're saying that you love me and you would forgive me and that there's a new life in something called the kingdom available to me. I, I, God, I want that. I give you my life. I repent. I want to turn. If you would pray that prayer on your own, it, find a buddy if you're not comfortable doing that. Um, you're going to find uh, you're going to find new life in the kingdom. You're going to start a journey that all of us are on. A lot of us are Christians on this call or this stream, sorry. And um, you're going to find that. Repentance is uh, is not just a one-time prayer. It's actually a lifestyle. And a lot of us on this call, like I said, have probably had that first dinner with Jesus, have, have had that meal with Jesus. Um, Jesus tells this church in the book of Revelation, there's a group of people who've all been changed. They're a church now. They're a community of people that have been changed by Jesus. He, he tells those people that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would answer, I'll come in and dine with him. Um my point here is that repentance is not a one-time prayer. It's a lifestyle in the same way that repentance is, is better understood as thinking again, turning to, to enter more into the kingdom, putting off the old, putting on the new. Um, there's opportunity for each of us to, to live this out. There's opportunity for each. There's more for each of us. I wanted to put that up there just because it looked really cool. It's really blurry, but there is more for each of us. Let me go back to Psalm 23 for just a moment. Jesus prepares this table before us. One one more thought before I get there. Just like the church in Revelation, he prepares this table before us and says, there's more in the kingdom for you. If you're a Christian, if you've already been born again and and, and you're on this journey, there is more. He he still prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies. Maybe our enemies just look a little different. Maybe the first time you give your life to Jesus is your first dinner with him. And um, we enter into this lifestyle where we keep letting him in and keep having dinners and we keep thinking again and entering into more of this kingdom. Here's what the psalmist describes his experience like. He says, you, um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I talked earlier about how we can be having a really hard time in our life right now. Circumstances, you could be in a really difficult season and it could seem like, um, this experience of goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's definitely not me. It must've been nice to have been that guy. Um, I want to come back to this point that the kingdom was where this hope is found. The kingdom. Um, I've heard it said that, that if, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're a spiritual billionaire. Your, your, your bank account could be broke here in this life, but you're a spiritual billionaire. The kingdom of God is still yours. You're still eternally his. No one can take that from you. And in that kingdom, you experience this overflowing of a cup. You experience this goodness and this mercy all the days of your life. I wanted to just give a practical example because this is all theoretical. I, I felt I, w- I felt led to share a little personally about what it's looked like for me to experience some of this kingdom that Jesus said is near. Um, 
I, I uh, am just getting a little kind of personal with you guys. In the past years of my life, I think probably in my whole life, I've been a very insecure person. I haven't believed that I was that I mattered or that I was worth a whole lot. And that's been a journey of me growing to to believe that I matter and to believe that I'm worth something. And Jesus gets the credit for initiating that in my life. He says that I was worth dying for. And, and that's been, a, it's, it, I'm slowly growing in a confidence to accept and believe that love that he has for me. Um, but even in years, even in like, you know, as recent as, you know, my life right now, I, I, I'm, I'm growing out of my insecurities and there's times when, I mean, I, I, I preach here semi-regularly. So I know a lot of you guys personally, and sometimes you're trying to, I, sometimes I've been trying to project an image of myself to try and prove my insecurities wrong. Maybe some of you can relate, but when you believe something about yourself, let's say you believe you're weak, you might try and always look strong. Does that make sense? You're trying to prove that belief wrong. And that's been a reality in my life, in my insecurities. There's things that I believe about myself that sometimes I'm trying to project something different. I'm being real. And I, I sincerely, I do want to just say that I'm sorry if I've ever been doing that on this stage too. You guys deserve better that, um, you guys deserve honest and real. Here's my experience of the kingdom. Here's what I'm getting to guys. Um, this week in prayer, I, I don't know if you know this about following God. It's changed my whole life, but God actually likes to speak to us. Prayer isn't just one way. And I heard in prayer this week, I heard God say that he was proud of me. And that, that, that was a prayer time. Um, that was enough for me to hear that morning is that God was proud of me. I mean, my insecurities and I'm wondering, do I matter? Am I, do I have value for, to just hear me in my room? Did just, no one's around to just have God say, I'm proud of you. Um, that changes me. That's, that's my cup overflowing. That love and that goodness and that mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. No matter what other people say about me, no matter what circumstances life throws my way, that's been a taste of the kingdom of God where I know that I'm beloved. I'm his, I'm his son. Uh, he's proud of me. Um, that is not just for me. That, that's the kingdom. That's the love that God has for each of you. That's what it can look like in our lives today to have a hope, to have a goodness and mercy that follows us, even if our circumstances are very difficult. That's the kingdom. That's one snippet or understanding of the kingdom. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.